0: We're going to be turning now uh, to God's Word, and uh, we uh, we've been looking through First John, and uh, we finished that up recently, and we're in the uh, book of of Second John, and uh, this is, is kind of a fun uh, little book that I'm kind of excited to spend a couple minutes in, and uh, if you're new to the epistles of John, Second um, and Third John are incredibly short books. In fact, uh, third John is the shortest book in the New Testament. Uh, second John, which we're going to be, uh, looking at this morning is the second shortest book in the New Testament. And you might wonder why it's called second John and, and, doesn't have some other kind of name. And, and there's a couple of reasons for that. And one is that the same person who wrote first John also wrote second John, third John, the apostle John. And he's responsible for authoring all three of these books. Uh, but there's another reason is that very likely he's writing them to the same audience. And it's actually quite possible that all three of these letters were meant to be bundled together. And uh, so there would have been a courier who had all three of these letters in his pocket. And he was supposed to deliver this to the church. And uh, when you look at Second John, certainly much of the language um, uh, that we, uh, we saw in first John is in second John and many of the big ideas also are also in second John. And, uh, when I was thinking about kind of what, what the focus on, what the highlight, um, a question came to mind that I would regularly hear in seminary. And that was, uh, somebody would ask the question, uh, what unique contribution does this book bring to the Bible? Uh, put another way, you could say if we didn't have this book of the Bible, what would it be missing? And um, there are certain books of the Bible where that's really easy to answer. Uh, if you didn't have Genesis, uh, if you didn't have books like Exodus, uh, Romans, Revelation, there would be a lot that we'd be missing from the Bible. Uh, it's a little bit harder to answer that question uh, with Second John. And uh, when I was uh, thinking about uh, what makes this book unique or what is at least an area of emphasis compared to other writings of John or other New Testament books, uh, one of the things that came up regularly in, uh, from commentaries was people saying, John is not just saying something, it's also he has a way of saying it. And he's not just interested in the content of his ideas, He's also interested in communicating his ideas in a certain way. And when you read 2 John, uh, read it again and again, he's very, very artful, uh, with not the what, but the how he says it as well. And, uh, when I think about, uh, what we could focus on in this book, um, uh, John is, is really, uh, dealing with a, a fairly difficult topic in his congregation. Um, he has a number of people in his, his church that have been um, um, uh, following a, a false teaching and uh, they're literally leaving the faith and leaving the church. And John is kind of de- dealing squarely with this topic, which is a difficult, hard conversation. And what is so impressive about it is how delicately, how gracefully he deals with it. And uh, we live in a culture that is uh probably not graceful or delicate with how we deal with difficult conversations. Uh, We live in a culture that I think is uh, probably overly opinionated. Uh, We think that we have a right to share an opinion anytime there is an occasion to share an opinion. Uh, We are overdeveloped at uh, pointing the finger at others and yet overly reactive when people point the finger at us. And John is modeling for us um, something different. Uh, he's modeling a way for how we can talk about difficult topics. And I want to take just a few minutes to highlight or, or put the light on some of the ways that John, uh, decides to talk about difficult topics. And that's kind of our, our big idea for, uh, for this book. And so I'm going to read the passage and then we're going to jump in, uh, with a few minutes worth of reflections on this. Uh, so this is, uh, second John starting in verse one. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father, from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as you were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I was writing to you a new commandment, but the one you have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver in the Antichrist. Watch yourself, so you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk to you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for your word. Uh, through it, we see both you and ourselves uh, more clearly. Uh, would we pray? Uh, uh, grow in our insight into you and us, and would you make us more like yourself through this experience? In Christ's name, amen. Well, we're considering um, the different ways that John models to us how to have a difficult conversation, and particularly to talk about difficult subjects. And uh, we'll highlight four, a few different things that he does. And the first thing that really comes to mind uh, with John is actually how he launches into the letter. And that is, is that he sees the gospel as a lens for seeing others. Uh, You could kind of think of some glasses or some type of goggles. He uses the gospel like a kind of goggles that allows him to see the people he's in conversation with. Uh, Let me read to you verses one and two, where he illustrates this. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love and truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Uh, John is positioning himself and his audience uh, within the framework of the gospel. And he opens up his letter by identifying himself as an uh, elder, and he identifies his audience as the recipient of God's eternal love. Both these, uh, the leadership within the church and the eternal love that God has towards us are uh, ways that um, uh, the gospel has marked us and changed us. And he's choosing to identify both himself and others in that way. Uh, and it may not immediately strike us that these two passages are uh, this is what John's doing in these two passages. Uh, when you read it, it looks like he 's talking about a particular person, this elect lady, uh, but I think he's actually really talking about a church and there's a, there's a few reasons why this might be the case. Uh, what most uh, commentators uh, believe is that this is a particular congregation actually in Ephesus, where really in the last decade of his his ministry career, he kind of settled down, put some roots down, and undertook kind of ministering to this local congregation. And uh, we know that uh, throughout the Bible, uh, the church is oftentimes described in um, uh, feminine terms. It's oftentimes described as the bride of Christ. It would certainly not be unusual to call a congregation an elect lady in that sense. Um, we also know that it would probably be unusual for him to greet a particular woman in the congregation in this way, somebody who loves in truth. And then lastly, this, this word uh, uh, lady in Greek, uh, in the first century would have referred to an actual class of people in the Greek world. And so his audience wouldn't have thought this is a particular person. They would have thought, hey, this is actually really a, a group of people. And um, if you we were to look at how John is referring to himself, interestingly, even though he's an apostle, he's one of the 12, he's written books of the New Testament, He has a big deal, Uh, he is a big deal. He's actually choosing to identify himself uh, as an elder and not an apostle. And uh, that doesn't mean that John has given up his role as an apostle. Uh, What's happening is he's actually coming to his congregation as a leader in that congregation. And elders uh, were and still are the way uh, that God chooses to lead and shepherd his church and each of these, um, uh, the leaders of the church, um, uh, would have been people that would have been recognizable to uh, John's audience. And uh, what we have here is this: the way that he greets people and the way he identifies himself. He's clearly uh, framing it within a, a spiritual context, and particularly a context that is crafted and molded by how the gospel shapes, shapes people, uh, that God has... Uh, extended his shepherding care to under shepherds and that God's elective love has been set on us from eternity. And it it may not be obvious to us that uh, the church and the spiritual context that we operate in is a place for having uh, difficult conversations. And uh, we can think of a lot of hot button topics that um, go around in the church that have maybe not been handled with care or grace and we can maybe even think of personal experiences uh, where there hasn't been as much tact or grace as we would have liked. Um, and I've been on both sides of those. I've been the person who's uh, felt that, but also the person who's not helping things out. And I think it's it's worth noting uh, that the church is a institution um, that is a place where we can have difficult conversations. is something that's it's actually fairly widely recognized in a lot of academic circles, uh, in sociology and in cultural philosophy, uh, there is a notion of something called a mediating institution, and uh, what this means is that people from all corners of society are working through this institution uh, to find some common ground and actually get stuff done. And the question is, for a sociologist or, or political philosopher, is how does a diversity of people have any uh, common ground at all, work together, collaborate, and actually get things done. And the answer for that, one of the answers, is mediating institutions. And these are simply institutions where people can, uh, with a diversity of backgrounds, uh, come together, find common ground, um, and be able to collaborate and get things done. And this concept has been around for over 200 years, and the church has actually been recognize as an institution that throughout history uh, is able to bring about that the, those mediating relationships. And what uh, the philosophers and the sociologists uh, don't answer though, is the how. Uh, they can answer the what, but not the how. And uh, for this, uh, John actually has an answer to this. Uh, how is it that diverse backgrounds of people are able to have these mediated relationships with each other? And the answer that he gives us is in verse two. And let me read this to you, this to you. He says, "Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever, uh, this eternal truth uh, is really the work of the gospel in the lives and and hearts of the saints." And for John, the gospel is this lens uh, for how he chooses to see other people uh, when he's having a difficult conversation about politics, theology, COVID. John is talking uh, really through the lens of the gospel and how he sees other people. You might wonder though, what is the effect of this kind of, um, uh, this filter on how we actually engage a community. And we see quite quickly uh, John's answer to that. And that is that John, uh, once he sees somebody through a gospel lens, uh, he intentionally has a kind of optimistic way of engaging that person. And in particular, what he's choosing to do is celebrate other people. And um, we're in an occasion where uh, John is dealing with uh, a very sensitive issue. He's he's dealing with uh, people he knows, he has a relationship with, him, um, cares about. Things aren't going as they should go. And there's really two ways he could slice the pie. He could be optimistic, he could greet them with affection, or you could say, okay, what's wrong here? How am I going to go? How did, how did this go wrong? And how are we going to figure it out? And uh, John has said, chooses to celebrate people. Let me read to you what he says in verse four. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And uh, John is describing a church uh, that is having an experience where uh, they're struggling with the teaching um, that that's a false teaching. It's um, really captured some people so much so that they're actually abandoning their faith and abandoning their church community. And uh, John looks at this and he says, how incredible that some of you have made it. Uh, how amazing that some of you are um, uh, riding out the storm so well, rather than saying, what's wrong here? Why could have done better? Uh, and so he is insisting on approaching people in kind of an optimistic celebratory way. And this reminds me a lot of a, a quote I read from Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, a German pastor and theologian from the first half of the 20th century. And he has a small little book, Life Together. I bet a lot of you have read it. Um, and he has a chapter in there called Ministry. And he's not talking about vocational ministry, um, He's talking about how to love and and serve one another. And um, there's a lot of things he could say, you know, probably more than a chapter's worth of of material on what it looks like to love and minister to each other. And the very first thing he says when it comes to ministering to each other, loving each other, is he has a little subtitle he calls The Ministry of Holding Your Tongue. And he says one of the best things you can do is hold your tongue or not say everything that comes to your mind. And he has a lot of great, great quotes in that. I'm gonna read you just one of the quotes that I think um, really connects with what John is doing here, what John is modeling for us. So what he says uh, on the ministry of holding your tongue. It must be a decisive rule of every Christian fellowship that each individual is prohibited from saying much that occurs to them. When this discipline of the tongue is practiced rightly from the beginning, Each individual will make a matchless discovery. He will be able to cease from constantly scrutinizing the other person, judging him, condemning him, putting him in his particular place where he can gain ascendancy over him and thus do violence violence to him as a person. Now he can allow the brother to exist as a completely free person as God made him to be. His view expands, and to his amazement for the first time, Shining above his brethren, he sees the richness of God's created glory. Beautiful quote from Bonhoeffer. He is telling us kind of the principle behind what John is doing. When John is looking at a gospel lens, at community he's in conversation with, it leads him uh, to celebration. And if Bonhoeffer tells us, don't say certain things, uh certainly the opposite opposite of that could be intentionally say other things. Uh, find things to praise and to celebrate in other people, especially if they're on the other side of the aisle from us. And uh John uh, could have said uh, to them, uh, why didn't they get it right? Um he said, Um, why are they such a messed up community? And instead he chooses to uh really focus on their creative glory. And when we approach difficult topics, uh, whether it's politics, COVID, theology, a number of other things, and when we're looking at folks who are especially on the other side of the aisle, uh, we want to be considered very carefully. And we want to put a lot of thoughts and discernment and really careful thinking into uh, what are the things in other people that are worth celebrating? Uh, what are the things that are worth praising in other people? Then to actually go use our words to do that. Um, to actually go look at their strengths or successes and talk to other people about what those are. Uh, John's insistence, though, on celebrating others doesn't mean he is optimistically naive. It doesn't mean he's adverse to actually talking about difficult things. Uh, shortly after verse four, he launches into kind of the meat of his letter. And there he, right off the bat, issues a command. He says, love one another, uh, follow this new commandment. Now, he doesn't ask careful questions. He doesn't do um, any, you know, uh, he doesn't listen for an hour and talk for five minutes kind of stuff. He just right off the bat uh, issues a command to them. And then he goes on and pretty directly and squarely deals with some false teaching. He says that there is false teaching going around. It's not from Christ. It's actually from the Antichrist. You need to be guarded against it. And then he goes on to say something, and I think is probably the most provocative part of this letter. It would have been for his original audience. And that is that they should not show hospitality to people who uh, propagate this teaching. And this would have been in the first century when hospitality was really a chief virtue. And uh, he's telling them that, that somebody's teaching is not why um, should actually disqualify them from receiving hospitality so john is certainly not straying away from saying hard things and having difficult conversations um, but he's really having a balanced view uh and it's all in the context of, of seeing other people well and after he finishes uh the bulk of uh, this letter he ends with something that kind of looks like um, a compliment sandwich. And if you don't know what the compliment sandwich is, it's uh, kind of a, a popular tool to have difficult conversations. Uh, you start with something affirming, you move to maybe the critique, the hard part, and then you end with something kind of complimentary. And uh, John is uh, ending this letter with uh, something uplifting, something kind of complimentary. And what he does is he tells them he really, really Wants to be in relationship with them, and after he's had some hard things to say, after he's spoken fairly candidly with them, he tells them, "I want to draw near to you. I want to fight to be in relationship with you." This is what he says in in verse twelve. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come and talk face to face, that our joy may be complete. Uh, John is uh, presumably uh, absent from his congregation. Uh, He's not there. Um, He's not able to have a face-to-face conversation with them, and that's why he's uh, writing this letter. And you can imagine some of the uh, emotions, you know, we could kind of maybe creatively think about what would the emotions be of that community? And there's obviously some dysfunction. Things aren't going well. Uh, Their leader is writing them a letter, and they maybe wonder, what has he heard about? Uh, did he hear everything? Even that really difficult thing that maybe you don't want him to hear. How is he going to frame that? What's he going to do? And um, uh, what's uh, really uh, beautiful is that they're in a, in a vulnerable position. And when you're in a vulnerable position, maybe you uh, say something about how you really feel in a certain matter. Uh, one of the great things you want to hear as soon as that happens is a kind of affirmation. You want to hear that your relationship is still intact with that person it can't be broken. And what John is doing in this kind of vulnerable space that he has with with this church with this community is he's he telling them uh in the warmest way possible I actually want to come closer. Uh nothing you've done, nothing you've experienced uh has actually hurt my relationship with you. Um I want to draw near and I want to be uh closer. And uh, John in a, in a beautiful way is is really throughout the whole letter, kind of modeling uh, different ways that we can have difficult conversations with people. He starts off by uh, really seeing the gospel as a lens for how to view people, uh, rather than the various tribalistic ways that he very could have easily uh, used. He uses the limited words he does have to actually affirm and celebrate and praise uh, people in his community. And uh, even if they're on the other side of the aisle from him, and then he ends by really wanting to push into relationship, saying that what they're experiencing, maybe the mistakes that weren't mentioned in this letter, are not actually barriers to having relationship, that he insists on being near to them, so much so that he wants to physically uh, draw close to them. And when we're thinking about these traits, these are certainly things that John models to us, uh, but more importantly, uh, really Christ himself models these traits to us. Uh, He doesn't look at the the things that divide us. Um, uh, He doesn't uh, look at our our daily life and highlight all of our mistakes and tell them to the Father. Instead, through the work of his ministry, he actually has a new way of seeing us. He has kind of his own filter, his own lens. And he sees us really primarily through the merits of his own ministry. Uh, The perfection, the innocence, the purity that he has, is actually the same way that he sees us and he goes on and he actually jesus uh, literally has words about us uh, he has words that he speaks about us actively now and he is speaking to the father and he is speaking to the father words of delights uh, words of affection words of care uh, and he looks over on us he celebrates our successes he's quick to come along aside with us in our weaknesses and he is uh, regularly talking about us to the Father, his delight and affection that he has for us. And that as we uh, do things in life that might occasion um, uh, God's disfavor, uh, God, the Father, continually insists to have relationship with us. And so as we, we look at this letter, uh, we look at John as somebody who can be a model for us. But more ultimately, it is Christ himself uh, that we look to. It's by seeing and following him more closely that we become like him truly. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the grace that is ours through Christ, uh, that there is nothing in ourselves that makes us acceptable uh, to you. It is purely the merits of Christ himself. We pray that your spirit would give us the faith to uh, lay hold of this more clearly, more acutely. We pray that you would uh, shape us to be more like uh, your son.